This is episode 31 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events podcast. This episode begins the session from our most recent event, Women's Camp 2019, SOMA, One Body, One Spirit. This is session one with Julie Widman. But I want to share with you these differences because I think when you think of them, you will think, wow, that's, that's pretty heavy. And I think you probably have some of these around your dinner table too. We have Democrats and Republicans, right? We have believers and non-believers. We have married and single, introvert and extrovert. We have risk takers and rule followers, <laughs> amen. We have different cultures, different ages. We have SUV drivers and hybrid enthusiasts. It's a big deal. We have Pepsi lovers and Coca-Cola lovers, vegans and meat eaters. And the thing is, is that while we love community, it can be messy. All of these differences actually make us stronger, but they can also make it more challenging to get things done. If you've been in team for two minutes, you know that it's hard. If you've been in community, in the context of community, you know that it's challenging. But we actually cannot accomplish what God has called us to do without each other. For him to place a call on our lives, we actually need each other in our team to work together. And in chapter one, God says, all is good. Six times God says it's good. And then on the sixth day, he looks at everything and he says it's very good. But in chapter two, we're going to see the first problem. Turn to chapter two, verse 18, and we're going to see the first problem. The first thing that is not good. And what is not good? Is not good for man to be alone. Verse 218 says, The Lord said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God created man and woman to live in community together, to create families, to thrive, to bear the image of God reflecting with each other. And God's word tells us that we simply cannot function without each other. That it's only in community that we can learn to trust, rely on, walk together alongside, encourage, spur on in our faith. It's not good for man to be alone. And, verse, and, and this is prepping us for the third chapter of Genesis. Because in chapter three of Genesis, we see in sin enter the world. And while God's design is to unify and to bring together the body of Christ, the enemy would very much like to divide and separate us. We're going to see two opposing forces. In chapter 3, sin enters and things get messy. When I think about it, when I think about this idea of not being alone and why it's so important is that I look back at my life and I see how the enemy used thoughts like, No one else is walking this road. Nobody else really understands what I'm going through. They can't 
get what's happening behind my closed doors. The enemy uses isolation, loneliness, whether it come from self-sabotaging and stepping out of community or being pushed out of community, the enemy will use isolation and will use it to his advantage to attack. When we were driving up here, we saw two zebras. Did anyone else see the zebras on the side of the road? <laughs> Ashley Bell saw the zebras. <laughs> Ladies, I wanted to talk about zebras today, and we saw two zebras driving to Camp Tadmore. This is a very strange thing. <laughs> but when you think about zebras and all of their stripes, each zebra has different stripes. Each zebra is unique to that zebra. And when they are together, they become this, this group of very confusing stripes. And so the lion or the whoever is going to prey on those zebras cannot identify where they can strike because the stripes become protection. The group, the community becomes their protection. But when the zebra steps out of the pack and gets alone, it becomes vulnerable to attack. It becomes prey. And I will tell you the times in my life where I found myself, whether it be by my own choice or not, when slowly I have stepped out and all of a sudden become isolated, it's when attack hits. And we are facing a nation who has reported that 50% of individuals feel lonely. 50% of the U.S. is isolated. And so actually what that means for Camp Tadmore is that it is likely that 50% of us in this room are suffering from in a place of loneliness, isolation, or discouragement. That might not be you. That might be the sister sitting next to you. That might be your daughter, your parents, your coworker. But 50% of the United States is lonely and at a place where they have stepped out and the enemy would love to continue to separate, divide, so that the attack could come. But God's design is not like that. In fact, these two opposing forces come and God would like to unite us on the very basis of Jesus Christ and the enemy would like to divide us and separate so that he could come to kill and steal and destroy. And the broad ramifications of sin are to impact our most intimate relationships. Think about it. Sin comes in chapter 3. And the biggest ramification of that sin is that the relationship with the Father is fractured. Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden, out of the very presence of God. That relationship is fractured. Then next, the most intimate personal relationships are adversely affected. Adam and Eve, son to son, brother to brother, group to group, people to people, nation to nation. The enemy comes to divide, to separate, to isolate, to kill, seek, to kill, steal, and destroy, to separate us from God and from each other. And when we look at the rest of scripture, when we go from Genesis to Revelations, 
you see a picture of God's heart to return us, his people, to his original design. To reconcile our relationships first with him and then with each other. We're going to hop, skip, and jump from Genesis back to John, but I want to point out what Scripture does. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. The first four, ten, the first four of the Ten Commandments say, say what? They talk all about the relationship with the Lord. The last six talk all about our relationship with each other. You look at Matthew 22, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people who knew by heart all over 60, 600 laws, they said, teacher, they're asking Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over and over through scripture, we see God's heart is to return us to his original design, to have an intimate relationship with him and an intimate relationship with each other. Strong social connections. Jesus' last will and testament in John 17, he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us and he prays, what does he pray for? He prays that we would be one. He prays for unity. Relationships are hardwired in us by our creator. We were created to need each other, to not be independent. This whole individualism, independent way of life is actually not God's design. His design is for us to be interdependent, not independent. And so if this is true, if God's word actually indicates that his heart is to reconcile and redeem us first to him and then with each other, what does this mean for us this weekend? What does this mean for us here at Camp Tadmore? How do we practically live this out and what does it look like? I want to look at a woman's story in John 4. I love that sound. I want to look at the story of the woman at the well because Jesus' interaction with this unnamed, seemingly insignificant woman who's in a place of isolation and despair, her story is actually our story. We see what Jesus does through his interaction with her to fulfill the heart of the Father. And so what you need to know about what's happening in John 4 is that Jesus is actually traveling north. He's traveling from Judea to Galilee, and he decides to go through Samaria. And it's here that Jesus is going to have the longest conversation with anyone in Scripture. And so if you turn to John 4, 4, I'm going to read, now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, Will you give me a drink? 
I want to take a pause and I want to look at a few aspects of this story because at the very beginning we see that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And we established in John 1.1 that Jesus is the creator of the universe, right? So does the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Alpha and the Omega actually have to do anything? No. Jesus goes to Samaria on purpose, for a purpose, to meet this woman in, place, in a place of isolation and despair. He was relentlessly and wholeheartedly pursuing her. And that's actually what he does for each of us. And most people, most Jewish individuals would go 17 miles out of their way to avoid Samaria. This was a place that Jewish people wanted nothing to do with because it was a hostile land. They, they viewed Samaritans as unclean, um, intermingled, uh, intermarried individuals, and they really wanted to avoid them. But not Jesus. So if you have ever been someone who has been avoided, if you are someone who has been passed up or passed by, or walked around, know this. Jesus will walk into areas that most people avoid. Jesus will walk through things with you that most people would go around. Because this is who he is. This is who he always is. And while he's doing that, he is going to relentlessly and deliberately pursue you. And so he's showing up at noon, he's tired, he is fully man and fully God. We see him as a human as he rests by the well. And he's showing up at noon, and this is significant, because it is hotter than the wings of Haiti at noon in Samaria. It's hot, and this woman is coming to the well by herself. And so there is a problem because most of the other women would all gather together and chit and chat and go to the well in the morning to draw the cool water. And this woman has decided to go in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, to draw tepid hot water at best. And the problem is that she's alone and it's not good. We know from further in the text that this woman has had five husbands, and the, the one that she's living with right now is not her husband. And so what we can deduce from this is that either all five husbands have died, which would be devastating, or one after the other after the other after the other has chosen to divorce her. Either way, what we imagine coming alone to this well is that she's rejected or ostracized by her community. Or she has self-isolated out of fear of rejection and criticism from the very people that she's in community with. And it's here that she meets Jesus. And you know what? I get her. I get her because sometimes it's easier to step out of community because it doesn't feel safe anymore. I have been hurt by community. I've walked through uh, times in my life 
that have been really, really hard. I have made choices that I'm not proud of. And at times, I have gone with this feeling of guilt to share with someone, and I have been met with rejection and shame and judgment. And the thing is, is that people hurt people. Often, we hurt back, or we guard up, or we step out. So whether you've stepped out, or you feel like you were pushed out, at the end, you end up on the outside looking in. And what this leaves you with is a lot of emptiness, a lot of heaviness, and a lot to carry all by yourself. And that is what this woman is doing. She is carrying heavy, empty jars to the well in the middle of the day by herself. But remember that this is not God's design for his people. But it is very much the destructive nature of our enemy. And when she goes to the well with the heavy, empty jars, that well actually represents the things of this world. She fills it each day with tepid water to try to fill full, but she has to keep coming back to that well to fill with water. And we actually, when we are feeling heavy and empty, we actually fill ourselves with things of the world. We try to get busy. Kids, cleaning, organizing, I don't know, I just love Windex and bleach, but um, <laughs> shopping, talking on the phone, exercising, people, your, your friends, your family, your parents. Maybe it's things, this car, that outfit, the new gizmo, the new gadget. Or maybe you overfill, you overeat, you overdo, you overexercise, you overspend. All of those things, regardless of what you try to fill yourself with, will never satisfy you. And this is what she's been doing until she meets the author and creator of heaven and earth. And in verse 13, we see that Jesus offers her new hope. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And in verse 15, the woman says, I'll take it. She says, sir, give me that water. It is the great exchange. It is a creation-like moment because Jesus is going to step into her disorder and darkness and chaos. And out of it, he's going to fill her with living water and bring about beauty and order and goodness into her life. And this is what Jesus does. This is what his living water does. I was just at the beach for the last five days with my family. 
I was at the Oregon coast, and I was able to walk up and down the ocean and see the, wa the water come in and out. And I was reminded that 20 years ago, I said, yes, Jesus, I want your living water in my life. And 20 years ago at the coast, it was my first great exchange with Jesus. I was 13 and I have a 13-year-old daughter now, and, and her current life reminds me so much of what I was experiencing at her age. In middle school, I began to realize that people were harsh. Boys liked you, then boys didn't like you. Friends said mean things. They decided that it was okay to comment about your hair and your clothes and your words and your choices and your friends. Sometimes girlfriends would be there and then sometimes they wouldn't. And the thing is, is that adult life isn't that different. We're just not that overt. We become passively aggressive or passively harsh. I remember trying to fill my life at that time with things of this world because the heaviness and emptiness of a 13-year-old can feel like a lot. I tried to satisfy myself with poor choices, with individualism, with worldly choices. But even at 13, I realized that none of those things could fill me. Even back then, surrounded with family and friends, no matter what I tried to fill this void with, there was an emptiness that remained, a loneliness, an insecurity that, that made me feel like I could never actually be the real me and no one could really get the real me. Much of my decision to follow Jesus came from this place of never wanting to be alone again. The youth pastor said, Jesus will be your best friend, and I thought that sounded like a really good idea. I wanted to walk with Jesus through the heaviness and the emptiness of, world, of the world, and so at that, at that time, at 13, I said yes. And I can't help but wonder if the loneliness of this nation is a call to seek the Father. Because something happens when you say yes to Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, his living water fills us. And it's, it's like Jesus finds you buried in the sand on the beach and he picks you up. And your cup filled and crusted over with sand. And he begins to pour his living water into you. He pours his comfort. He pours his love. He pours his hope. He pours his way. He pours his law. And he pours his principles. And out of that cup comes the muck and mire of life. Out of that cup comes all those decisions and all those thoughts and all those ways you tried to fill yourself with. And slowly you become less broken and more whole. His living water does this. And last weekend when I was at the beach, I was reminded that, yes, 20 years ago, I had my first woman at the well moment. I had my first great exchange. But the reality is that we get to have this with Jesus over and over and over because this is a continual process in our life of being filled by his water, filled by his spirit, and becoming less broken and more whole. That is what he does. 
He does this in our lives because he loves us. He pours in the water to wash away our junk. That's what this woman says yes to. When we say yes and we receive his living water, we begin that process. And the thing is, it's a continual process that starts with the day that we say yes and will not finish until we meet Jesus face to face. In verse 28, it says, Then, leaving her jar, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. She puts down the heaviness. She puts down that empty jar. We get to put down our stuff that we're trying to fill ourselves with when we say yes to Jesus and he begins to fill us. He fills us, he redeems us, he reconciles us. And in that process, he releases us to go back to the places and spaces that he's placed you to reconcile others. This takes courage. This woman's community is the same community she was avoiding. And yet she risks and is brave and she goes back because she is filled with his water and he releases her. He reconciles us so that we can be reconcilers. When you skip over to verse 39, it tells you what happens. Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus redeemed her. He took her out of isolation and placed her back in the community. He's not uncomfortable with our stories, ladies. He's not uncomfortable with our choices, our past, the places and spaces we've stepped out of. He's going to use that for your good and for his glory if you allow it. When the Lord sets you free, he gives you the capacity and authority and power to set others free. We live in a culture that is disconnected. Our enemy desires to divide us, separate us first from our creator, and then from each other. God's plan for his people is different. It's radically different than what most of us are living out. He co-created community in community for community. And he desires to redeem us and reconcile us first with him and then with each other. When we're filled with his holy water, we can then step back into community with courage to be reconcilers. I want to close by reading 2 Corinthians 5. And if you'll turn with me there, I I have the um, NLT version. And I want you to listen to it, even if that's not your version you have. Because what God does is he creates. And in verse 17, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. 
For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. He restores and redeems and reconciles our relationship first with the Father through Christ and then reconciles, redeems, and restores our relationship with each other into community. So ladies, I want you to turn to, it's a little confusing because if I say turn to the right, you're all going to turn to the right. So turn to the woman next to you and say we need each other. Okay, with a little bit more gusto. Okay, now turn to the other woman and say, we need each other. I love it. We were not designed to live in places of isolation. The enemy would like to use our differences to separate us, to divide us, but God actually created all of our differences so that we could do more together than any of us could do on our own. And so this weekend is an invitation back into the community of God, back into his original design for relationships. And we pray and hope that you will jump into this opportunity to reconnect, not only with your father, but with each other. Will you close in prayer with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are and who you've created us to be. I ask you, Jesus, that you would do the work that only you can do. That you would rise up those women who are feeling out isolated, discouraged, on the outside that you would allow them to speak their stories, to speak to someone this weekend of their pain, of their emptiness and heaviness. And Lord God, I ask that you would fill them with your living water, that you would fill them and satisfy them. Father, rise up sisters to come alongside of them. Reconnect us first with you, Jesus, and then with each other. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.